since we've been together, you know, we've been studying through the Bible, and we did the book of Acts, we did the book of uh, Matthew, uh, we did the book of Ephesians, and now we just finished the book of 1 Corinthians. So in five years, as a church family, starting our way through the Word, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, digging into everything, and everything all the time, when it's comfortable, when it's not so comfortable, but if it's in the Word, you know, we've got to study it, and I think Billy Graham said it best. It takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. God understand about his character and his nature and who he really is. And it's unveiled all throughout, all throughout. So that's something we're committed to doing. Um, also, I wanted to share one other thing. So obviously this past week, big news you know, for our country, new president, right? Big news this week. Um, I, w- I would say that... Uh, I have intentionally avoided much of my social media stuff because if it's anything like mine, yours is probably just filled with craziness. And that's what I would just describe a lot of it as. It's just kind of craziness. Um, and probably the words I would use would be um, disappointed, uh, saddened, and just like kind of shaking my head. You know, it's just kind of a weird, it's a weird thing. This, this election is just the immediate response right after and I'm not so much surprised about, you know, people that I know or follow or friends with that aren't Christians, that aren't believers. You know, really the, the biggest surprise has been, you know, mature Christian people that I've known for a long time that are in a lot of different areas within the church, significant people. And I'm like, man, you know, it's just, what, what is the deal? What is going on? Um, and like I said, I haven't checked it a lot because after the first few times, I was like, man, I don't even want to. There's just nothing going on here that I want to be a part of that I don't want to see. Um, the few times that I have seen, uh, the good news is really for my immediate church fam, I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't see any craziness out of there. So that's kind of nice. Um, and when I, actually, I did see, you know, supportive, helpful things. And, you know, so it's, there's like this wrestling, there's this tension. So my immediate backlash thing that I would like to do, but I don't think that I will do quite yet, is I just want to delete all social media and just be like, ah, I'm done, you know? It's just, because it's really just become just a, a, a ground for people to just, you know, voice. There's not really a filter, you know? It's just become my grounds. I'm just going to share whatever, whenever, and just have it be my place to do that. And, you know, whatever, I guess. I like it to be kind of be like a happy place and just keep in touch with people and have it be a good thing. Um, so I was thinking about it, and I might try and actually start it this week, or maybe somebody will beat me to it. Uh, very often there is a, not very often, but it's been done enough times where, where people might know about it, where they do like these 30 or 31-day challenges. Maybe seen those before. It's probably the most popular one is the one with the ice. You know, they dump the ice on, and that was for awareness for... There, yeah, a cause. I don't remember what it was. Um, but I was thinking, I was like, man, you know what? It would be a great idea. It would be a great idea if there was like a 30, 31-day challenge where the Christians, hopefully, led the way on this. It would be interesting if unbelievers really got behind it. Um, but the Christians of the day, and they said, hey, 30, 31-day challenge, what I'm going to do is I'm going to post a prayer for my nation on my feed. Either video or typed, whatever. And then at the end of it, tagging three other believers and saying, hey, let's just cover this social media area with just prayers for our nation, prayers for those who are leading, whether we like it or we don't like it. Listen, Jesus is on the throne. Doesn't matter who's in the White House. Our hope is not in politics. It's in the church. That's what the deal is. And that's what God has made very clear and very plain. The ways he's going to reveal his will, bring his love, make an impact in our world, he is choosing to do it through his sons and through his daughters, corporately called the church. That's the way it's going to happen. Sure, it would be great from time to time if politics kind of followed suit with the word more often. And in fact, just didn't blatantly turn its back many times. Unfortunately, it's not seemed to be going that way. But if we're Christians and we're, we're believers, hope is always there. We're promised to have a God who hears. And he can move no matter who's in charge. 
And that's why there's just a tremendous amount of value in knowing like the whole Bible, knowing the Word, because many times His people were being ruled or, you know, overtaken by countries and by other people that didn't at all respect God or know who God was, but they continued to pray, God continued to move, and it's very interesting how even though there could be an entire system set up in place, they are still pawns subject to whatever God wants to do what he wants to bring forth. And it would be silly for us to think that God just, he wouldn't hear the prayers of his sons, his daughters, his church crying out to him regardless of who's in charge. It'd be silly to think that he won't respond to those prayers. It's not in his character. It's not in his nature. So I would love to see us just like cover cover social media. 30, 31 day challenge. Say, hey, I'm posting this prayer for my nation. Boom, right there. And that would be kind of neat to then pop onto my social media and see, whoa, I got these prayers being laid out for the nation. And then it would be very interesting to read what people are saying and what they're putting on there. be very interesting. So, yeah, I was going to try and start something like that later this week. Hopefully, maybe later today. If you don't see mine soon enough, you start it. And I promise you, I'm falling right with Tag me in there, and I'll be right in there. But I'd like to get that one going. I think that's something that's worthwhile. And let's have the Christians, hey, be known not as the people and my person didn't get in there, and so now I'm going to throw a fit and do all this weird thing and get crazy. It's like, okay, my my person didn't get in, but you know what? God is on the throne. We're still praying. We're going to humble ourselves. Father, move. Don't leave us. Don't leave us, Lord. We need you more than ever, right? And that's what we're called to do. That's how we should really, how we're called to respond. Um, So I just wanted to share that with you because I think it's silly to have such a, a significant event happen with the new president and so much backlash immediately to not at least say something in church about it. And I intentionally am not sharing who I voted for and what happened, because that's not the issue. The issue is just not, you know, who am I voting for? What's going? Talk about those issues on another day. That's not church time. At the end of the day, right, we are trying to live for his kingdom and spread what he wants. He, fact of the matter is, he makes it so clear like we talked about last week, that people that don't know him, they will go to hell. If they're not in relationship with him, they haven't confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will not be with him, they will go to hell. And not only that, they're going to experience just a life here that, where they just invest into themselves, where they just build up as much as they can, where many times they're just going to get significance based on what others tell them. And it's just a sad, crazy life to live like that. It's, it's horrific. And so we just have a tremendous opportunity, you know, to witness and, and man, to just be, to be that life-changing, forgiving Christian that God has called us to be. And it makes tremendous impact. Um, and certainly one arena of politics, you know, we could definitely do a better job in that. Because I think it's, it's worthwhile to think about. We had the two candidates that we had, and, and everybody kind of knows that nobody was exactly completely thrilled by who they had. And whoever you voted for, you probably weren't 110%, oh my gosh, I love them so much. With that being said, we had the two candidates we had. Think about it. If the church was maybe a little bit different and in a different place and doing some different things and seeking God in a different way, we might have maybe a couple of different candidates, or at least one different candidate. Church has really got to step up. As soon as our church stuff just gets reduced down to if we showed up on Sunday or not, or if we did something or not, like we're in serious trouble. And I think that's really been the trend for a long time. And God's calling so much more. He's calling us to what it was always supposed to be about, be in relationship with Him, give our life away, let Him be glorified through us, and then whatever shakes out is whatever shakes out. So much bigger than church attendance. All right, I'm done on that part. All righty. Um, so let's pray about this word. I don't, I don't have much to share from here, just a little bit. And then um, I heard there's some really good chili downstairs and some other food, so we're going to get rolling here. Okay. Father, we know, we know you sit on the throne, Lord. 
We know you're sovereign and in total control. Um, A lot of times we don't even understand how things just happen. You just allow some things to happen we don't understand, Lord. And um, I pray that we wouldn't get stuck in what the whys and what we don't understand, Father. I pray that we would just be faithful in what you've told us. And you did say that those who would just humble themselves and and, and seek your face, Lord, and just pray, Father, um, that you'll hear, Lord, and you'll respond. And so I just pray that we'd be a people that would be known for that, Lord. I pray we'd be educated on the issues and things that matter, Lord, but I pray that our hearts, Lord, um, would just be about, Lord, bringing people into fellowship with you, Lord. That our hearts would be about accomplishing the will and the plan that you have for your beautiful bride, this church, Lord. So I pray, Father, that you'd use us, you'd use the Christians, uh, you know, throughout this nation to set a different tone, Lord. To just go about and do things differently. And so I pray, Father, that you'd use us in uh, some significant way, Lord, to help set the tone and make it be different. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All righty, working our way through 1 Corinthians. I don't think we're going to finish up 16 today, so your homework will be kind of maybe just to finish it up. But, um, but we'll see how far we get. Let me start with this thought, okay? If I uh, told you that um, there is a way that God has set up where it guarantees freedom for us in a very significant, life-changing way, um, if there is a, a way that God had set up to where we could truly understand who he is in a very large scale, where it's like easy to understand, where it's not some just religious thing that people talk about, where it really connects. Um, if there is a way that God set up to where it wouldn't be so much of a struggle to really understand his place and what he says about himself. If there was a way that God had set up like that, which I believe he has, I personally, and probably you, would be all about that. What is that way? What does it consist? What do I have to do? Because I think that, you know, myself, and then you alike, those that follow the Lord, You want to grow in faith. You want to operate, for the most part, on most days, in a trust and in a belief in God that's at a very high level. I would think that's what you want to do. One, because in the Bible it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. That's a very powerful and sobering phrase in Hebrews. Without faith it is impossible to please God. And I think that we, you know, certainly want to please God, want to live in such a way where we're like living under his pleasure and favor so we can use in powerful ways. And, and, and much of that means living our lives in a way to where faith, man, we just operate with a big faith. We just, we just have a supernatural way to trust him. So if God has set up a way so that way that happens, that would free us up in a lot of areas in life. That would cut down a lot of anxiety. It would cut down a lot of pressure. It would cut down a lot of self-esteem issues. It cut down a lot of fears. Are you with me? And what he has done is very interesting. What God has done, he's set up a way to do this. So that way it's, it's, it's not something where we'd have to do like this, these big, huge, important things and big chunks and just like, he set it up so we could do it like, like working out. Where, you know, when you're working out and you're trying to build your muscles, right? You, you just don't show up at the gym and then you put on 20 pounds of muscle. Like it doesn't, it doesn't happen. If it does happen, you're doing something wrong like, or illegal, um, right? What happens is you go to the gym, right? And then you work out and then your body's like just getting used to like working out, you know? And then where I was like, whoa, like, what are we doing, you know? And then you're all sore the next day or for a week after. And then you keep working on it, and you're a little bit less sore. 
And it's like, oh, you know, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. But you don't really see anything, maybe. And then you keep working out, and then maybe it's like, oh, maybe I lost a few pounds. Oh, now I see something. Like, this is interesting now. And then, like, you keep going, and then what happens is you keep working out, and then depending upon what you're working uh, towards, more tone, more bulk, whatever it is, things start to happen. But it's a slow progression, right, to get there. So, obviously, it's a huge mistake to see somebody who's just like, you know, um, Justin's favorite guy, Hercules. It's a big mistake to look at somebody like that and say, oh, you know, they just, just showed up like that, you know? And that there are the few exceptions, of course. But for the most part, we've got to work to get to a place. And God has done a similar thing with our faith because it's very much like a muscle. We have to continue to exercise it. And in the progression, you can put on more weight, you can handle more loads, and over time it continues to grow, 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 and grow. And then over time of doing all of that working out, where many times it seems pointless, it seems useless, it's like, oh, I don't feel like it, doesn't see anything happening, da 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 But actually things are growing, things are developing, things are happening. And you can't see it in the moment, but you can see it later on down the line. And the way God has formed for our faith to get like that is in the area of our finances. I'm telling you. Telling you. Now, we don't talk about finances a ton. It's not a major thing that we always talk about because really we go by chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and when we get there, we talk about it. And sometimes, you know, it comes up, sometimes it doesn't. But when it comes up, we absolutely have to talk about it because it is one of the most life-changing, faith-building ways to know who God is. It'll set you free on so many levels. I, I get very excited about um, generosity and giving. Because I've spent my life, and, and I'm not old, but I spent life at an early age. Thank God my parents, you know, maybe they screwed a lot of things up. But one thing that they did do well that helped a lot was at an early age, they helped to instill in me how money works in regards to who gave it to me. Namely, God himself. So at a young age, my parents did the best they could. There's probably other better ways, better ideas. But they did the best they could at that time, trying to show me, hey, when you get a little bit here, God gave that to you. He's letting you have some. It's very important that we give him back some. And we would do different things. So me and my sister, we'd learn how to do that. And now I get to the point where it doesn't scare me. It doesn't scare me or heavily restrict me if I got all zeros across the board. It'll freak Julie out for sure. But it's good because we balance each other out because I can just get nuts and just be like, zeros everywhere. And let's just go like, and that's not exactly a wise thing either because we'll talk about that in a minute. But the idea being is that God has chosen this area of finances. Why? Why did he do this? He did this because he wants us to understand who he is as our provider. Provider. The singular way he does that really, really well to build this childlike faith in our provider is in our area of finances. And it's something we all know very much about because we work hard. Everybody in this room works hard to get the little bit that we have. And God very well knows what he's doing when he says, listen, I know you're working that hard. I appreciate that. I know that. Give me back what's already mine, and I'll let you hold the rest, and you'll understand who I am. And what we do is we get an opportunity, actually, each week to do that. And when that arena of our lives, sexuality is another big one, but finances, because we're just talking about it this morning, when the Lord has a tight grip and a hold, and we have less of a tight grip and a hold on that area, we are set free in so many ways, and we really start to understand the type of generous giver and provider that he is. And I mean, it changes everything. It changes everything. So generosity being the key. And it seems like, we're going to read it, I promise we're going to read it, 
Paul just talked about all this stuff through 1 Corinthians, and he just finished up talking about this resurrection life. And last week he talked about this resurrection life, really, and what it does is it gives us a hope. It gives us a hope that no situation, no relationship, no circumstance is ever just what it seems. Within the believer is the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And anything is possible at any time. And then now he starts talking about money. Well, how do we get from that to that? Well, resurrection power is what motivates us to give and to serve. That's like what does it. It doesn't just show up on its own. So the resurrection lifestyle and power actually motivates us. I read this quote this week. Um, An open heart cannot maintain a closed hand. I thought that was really good. Right? An open heart cannot maintain a closed hand. Because at the heart of giving, because we're talking about generosity and stewardship, that we're not really talking about you know, figures and percentages, and we'll talk about that in a minute. The main issue is, when we've become a Christian, we've given our lives to Jesus Christ, what supposedly has happened is we've come before God and we say, God, we need you in our lives. I thank you for paying a debt I could never pay. Jesus Christ, thank you for taking my place. Thank you for forgiving me what I've done. And you promised already forgive what will happen in the future. God, it's, thank you. Thank you. Just come and just thank. When it's put in perspective, the way it's supposed to be, it's just thankfulness. It's not reduced down to memory verses or you know, church attendance or all these other disciplines that are important. The main issue matters is the forgiveness that takes place when we accept Him as our Savior. When that's a reality that we live out of, it's very, very difficult to not live our life in a very generous way. Because we are so overtaken by this love and forgiveness. It's like, ah, I have to give this away to others so they can have it and experience it and then they can pay it for it and Father, just, ah, just get them. Get them. And use my wallet to do it. That's really what it boils down to. Let's talk about some of the other stuff that Paul says here. So Paul says, now about the collection. So that's what I'm talking about. He gets into this money part. He says, now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. And then Paul gets into talking about how he's going to try to show up and he wants to make plans to do it. I don't think we're going to get that far today. Um, So let me just point out just a couple of things within this passage that I think are interesting. It says, now about the collection for God's people. So number one. Number one is uh, a collection for God's people. And he was referring to a church in Jerusalem. That was where the apostles were, like the leaders of the church at this time were. So he says, now about the collection for God's people. Number one is, a collection was totally normal and expected. It was totally normal and expected. That's just the way the system that God had set up. That there'd be a normal like collection taken for God's people to do his work within the church. Because some people will ask and say, well, listen, you know, why can't they also have a job? Why don't they just work? That's a fair thing to bring up, I think, and a good thing to talk about. Paul himself was a tent maker to help make ends meet, and then for a period of time, he didn't have to do any tent making. More money came in. What Paul describes, I'm going to show you in Romans 15, he describes a scenario where It's not ideal. It is not ideal nor intended for people that leave the church 
to actually be working in another vocation. So it's not ideal. And in fact, it's not like biblical. God didn't want it set up that way. And Romans 15, take a look. And I'm going to show you what I mean. Romans 15. Verse 26. We'll go verse 25. Verse 25. Romans 15, verse 25. Paul writing this, who wrote 1 Corinthians, which is what we're reading. He wrote this to the Roman church. That's why it's called Roman. It says, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. Right? So this is like a common thing where he's going around getting money and bringing it back to the church in Jerusalem. For Macedonia, there was churches there. And Achaia, there was churches there. They were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Interesting phrase, right? They owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So that's just one passage. There's others. But the point being, the way Paul looks at it, the way God talks about it is, hey, listen, if people are receiving spiritually in a significant way to where they're being built up spiritually, it's totally right and totally expected for them also to financially be, I don't want to say reimbursed or, it's all bad words, but financially given towards because of that. That make sense? So it's totally like a principle that is the ideal situation. So that's one thing I wanted to point out. Um, take a look at the next part here. That's only the first sentence in 1 Corinthians 16.1. Look at the next part. It says, Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So, number one, collection was normal and expected for everybody. That was just normal practice. Uh, number two, Everyone, everybody say everyone. everyone. Everyone was asked to put some aside, which is very interesting. He said everyone. So that's pretty interesting. So like, what about people that were like working, you know, not working, those who had a lot, those who had a little? He's like, no, like everybody. And what he's asking them to do, he's asking them to say, hey, listen, um, I want you to save it up so that when I come, like we don't have to try and figure it out. Interesting. Why would he do that? Why would he suggest that? Well, if you could picture maybe he comes, and then he's like, hey, I, I got to bring you know, some money to Jerusalem. Um, so, you know, so let's do an offering. Let's do a collection. In that moment, people are then going to be like, oh, well, you know, I guess I have to. Like, it's the apostles. And, and then maybe you know, if they're married and their spouses, like, how much should we give? Well, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know, how much do we get? Well, I, I don't need that. You know, so it's like a thing they have to like figure out. And Paul's like, yeah, I kind of want to avoid all of that. Well, why? Why is he saying that? For time purposes? Maybe. Most probably, it's important. It's important for them to figure out at home. Hey, listen, here's what we're bringing in. Here's what we owe. Here's what we have. What can we, what can we set aside to save up for that church in Jerusalem? This is the part that Paul is strongly encouraging that these believers do here and in Galatia, and he has in other places as well. He strongly encourages the dynamic of talking and praying about what they should give. This is why I'm not a huge fan of just do the 10%. Do the 10%, the tithe. In the Old Testament, yes, that was definitely the way that they did things. Was That was the recommended amount, tithe. 10% off the top, off your gross income, 10%. Right, That's what you would give. And many times, people get caught up in that. And I think it's still a great standard to kind of go by, baseline. 
God's actually calling us, I think, to do much better than that. Okay? He's calling us to do much better than that. But he's calling for us, the Christians, to figure out a way to arrange our lives so that we can live on a certain amount and continue to give away and save more. So he's calling the Christians to live our lives in such a way, saying, hey, listen, I have a work that needs to be done. Figure out a way so that we can live on what you need to live on, do what you need to do. But like, narrow it back, scale it back some way for the sake of others. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, this is a very important dynamic, so at home I want you to talk about this. Very interesting, right? Next thing I want to point out. It says, then, when I arrive, I would give letters of introduction uh, to the men that you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable to me, I will go also. Other interesting thing here is that multiple people were involved with the finances at this church. He had no problem saying, hey, listen, everybody set aside the sum, get it together. You guys pick some people that are reliable, dependable, totally trust them, have it bring it to me. If I have to go, I will go also. It's always a very dangerous situation when a church is very sketchy about their finances. They're not willing to talk about where things are going and how it's like working out. It's even scarier if they don't talk about it and then there's only like maybe one or two people that know about it. And it's like, oh, this is not a good situation. Transparency when it comes to finances as a church family is very important. How many people want to give to a church or to a ministry where you have no idea what's happening with the money? Very few people. Very few people. And if they do, maybe there's a great amount of trust there, but that's just a, that's a really dangerous line to be flirting with. So that's like when we have like our membership meetings, you know, I'll come in with like a sheet and I have it broke down, like where we spend all of our money, where it goes, and how we decided to like put our money and how we do it. Try to be as transparent as we can about it. So it's very important for any church or minister or whatever to be transparent and involve others in the process. So I just wanted to highlight just a couple of things and then we close up. Uh, maybe just two or three thoughts about what this can mean for us and how it can be helpful to us. Um, first thing is, number one, have the conversation and intentionally pray about what you can set aside. Number one. Have that conversation. Do that. Super important. See, because, and I know I've done this myself, I've deceived myself to think that, in a lot of ways, that I was more responsible with my money than I really was. And if I get other people, a couple other people to agree with me, then it's like, okay, yes, I am responsible. You want to know what a great buffer for that is? A great buffer for responsibility when it comes to finances is a budget. The B letter word nobody likes to talk about. It's the budget, where you actually monitor what you have and what is going on, where there's a projected amount of money that you say, hey, okay, I need this for my rent or my mortgage, I need this for, you know, hot water or gas, uh, you know, we need this for going out, we need this for gifts, for whatever, boom, just run through the whole thing. And then that is kind of like your guide. That call, see, like, especially if you're married, that you have to talk about those things. So Paul's telling our church today, like, hey, set aside some, I'll be there in a couple months. Like, you know, we'd have to, like, I'd have to sit with Julie, you know, which we do. We, have, we sit down, you know, and we have the budget talks, you know, and we go through it. It's better these days. There's more laughing than, the, than there is other stuff when it wasn't like that before. Um, but to know what's coming in and what's going out, and here's a really good rule of thumb. If anybody actually chooses to do this, which I I can't encourage you enough to do it, because you'll just deceive yourself. And you're going to be amazed at where the money actually goes. Just get a budget going. And if you have no idea how to project it at first, 
Just look at your previous month and just tally up everything you did. Tally it up, categorize it in the right places, and say, okay, based on last month we did this, all right, I'm going to come with my first projected budget, and when that next month ends, I'll check it and see how I did. You might be pretty good or you might be absolutely horrible, but you can change it and adjust it as you go forward. A good rule of thumb to go by, living, saving, and giving, three categories. If you could keep your giving and your saving at the same amounts, that would be great. Typically, it's nice to start off at 10% of those each, and then you just live off the rest. For a lot of people, they're in such a situation that they just they, they can't do that. That's just too much. It's, it can't work. It's not going to work. I would encourage you with, start with 1%. 1%. Saving, giving. But then you have a plan in place. Say, I'm going to get to 2% in six months. I'll get to 3%. You know, maybe by the end of the year, maybe I'll be like 4 or 5% maybe. This is all a lot of work. And I know that's what some of you just hear. That's a lot of work. I don't have time for this. Listen. This is the way, right? This is the way that freedom opens up in our lives. Because what happens is we start to formulate our lives so that way we can give on a regular basis. Because giving and generosity is about recognizing who actually gave it to us. And we say in faith, see that number that you pick to, uh, to give and to save, that's got to be some, some amount of faith to it. Most people see generosity as, okay, somebody made 400000 a year, you know, they gave 80000 away. Oh, they're pretty generous. Eh, maybe not so much. Generosity is not really, when we're talking about the Bible, Generosity is not so much determined as I just give out of my excess. Generosity is determined I, I, I'm giving and it's, it's hard. Whatever it is that I'm giving and saving, it's hard. It's a measure of faith. I, I have to trust God here because I, I don't know. It's going to be hard. So generosity is defined very differently than what most people I think we talk about generosity. We just give out of what you can handle. There is this tension. What can I handle? What can reasonably fit within my budget, within my living and giving and saving? But yet also, where is it going to be difficult? Where is God going to grow me in faith? You see what I'm saying? There's a tension there. And that will always be there. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to come to him and say, hey. He wants us to come to him. And we say, Father, I want to give. I want to give in a faithful way, Lord. I want to give in a way to where you will increase my faith and my trust in you. I also want to be responsible. And I want to be able to save and take care of my family and do what needs to be done. Father, help, help guide me. Right? That, if that prayer has never happened for you, you need to start ASAP. You're wasting time otherwise. It's got to happen. And that dialogue with the Father, with the Spirit, repeated that. Don't just like show up for that prayer one time. Repeatedly engage God with that. And I promise you, He will lay upon your heart like what will work. So living, giving, saving, right? Try and set up the budget. Some kind of budget in some way, shape, or form. See what it looks like. And you know, we live in the day and age of the internet. You can find all kinds of budgets. People have all kinds of different ways they get income. They could be self-employed and it's just different all the time. How do you figure that out? There's a lot of ways to figure that out. Some people, it's on a regular basis. It's a lot easier to do it that way. Some people have tremendous amount of debt. It's interesting that when he said everybody set it aside, he didn't say how much and he didn't exclude anybody. Never was there ever a place... When Paul addressed the church, he said, hey, listen, if you're in debt, don't give. Very interesting. Second thing is, 
So first thing was, have the conversation. Wrestle with the budget. Talk with the Lord on it. And if you're married, you, you have to. There's not really much of a choice. Like, it's irresponsible. And it's not being a good Christian if you don't. And this thing gets, like, revisited and revisited and revisited. Number two, the next thing is involve other people in the process. That's also what he did in this church. He had to trust other people in the process. And with our finances in our home, we also, it's a great idea to do that. Don't let everybody know about what you make and whatever happens. A trusted person or persons would really be enough. And say, hey, we're thinking about, you know, living this kind of way. Or this is kind of like what our budget looks like. Or this is like what we want to do. A person that does this really well would be like a financial advisor. They are very helpful. Helps get us on track. Helps keep us to it. And it really, like, kind of helps keep our butt in gear when we know, like, other people are going to kind of check up on us. It helps out a lot. Helps out a real lot. And so, to tell others, hey, listen, I have chosen to be incredibly responsible with my finances and to honor God with it. Can you check in on me periodically and see how I'm doing with that? To entrust somebody else to have some kind of access in there. Because not everybody like, should have the right to just, you know, figure out what you're bringing in and what you're doing. Like, no, no. But it should be a part of our lives to where we should recognize who we really are and how faulty we can be and how deceitful we can be in ourselves. So we say, hey, I need you to help me on this. I'll tell you what, it's like, it's not my most fun time when, pretty soon we're getting to it, when we do like our, our board meeting, we do a few board meetings a year, and the last one of the year, I have to come like with all like the finances of like our households and like tell everybody what we make and you know, like, kind of show, like, literally everything. And then it's not a really fun process to have everybody all in the business. Now it kind of feels a little more freer because I'm used to it. But it's been really good. It's been really good. I mean, the five years we've, since we planted this church, the finances in our own home have been just ridiculously turned around and totally different. Yeah, it's been totally different. Not that we have more money. We actually have less. But we're better with, this is the truth, we're better with this small amount, though. And we're freer with the small amount, which is very interesting. And a lot of it was rude. I, I had no idea that, you know, the church leadership would be, should be as invasive as they are with our finances. And it's a good thing. And I want that to happen more often because I know, you know, how me and Julie are and we'll, we'll just, like self-preserve and make things sound better and look better than what they really are. So it's a good thing and a needed thing to involve others in the process. So, at the end of the day, finances, I am telling you, I can't tell you enough, will set you free in so many ways and build your faith in so many ways at a much faster rate than other things. Nobody denies that evangelism is important, Bible reading is important, um, you know, being a member at a church, serving, all very important, and they need to happen. The arena that really unlocks a trust like no other, and an understanding in God like no other, is in our arena of finances. It's unbelievable how it happens. God knows exactly what he's doing when he does that. It's unbelievable. And for us, what we're called to be is we're called to be generous. Generous. It's just not a closed hand. And it's probably not realistic that we can go to everybody in every situation and just give them everything all the time. So we need wisdom certainly attached to this. But a lifestyle that's predominantly marked by just a generosity, a generosity in finances, a generosity in time, just in every sense of the word, that should really be the dominant theme of a Christian's life. Because if you do, let me read, this is the last verse and we're done. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And typically whenever money finances come up, this passage is brought up a lot. (coughs) 
Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, here's what happens, right, if we do. Generosity is the theme. Percentages, you know, let's work towards increasing those percentages of, you know, giving and saving. 10% is nice based on the start if you can. If not, start lower, but there's a plan in place to try and get to where you want to get to. Verse 9 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Kind of happens. You just give a little bit, you kind of see a little bit. And the temptation is, well, okay, I saw a little bit, so now I'll stop. No, like there's more. There's more. It says, each man or woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, that's the deal. And I, I really like, you guys, bless you, you guys got to hear me on this, and I really hope you do it. I hope whoever has decided, in their, whatever they have decided in their heart, Paul talks about figure out what you're going to save. Listen, if, if you do all this money stuff and you miss that entire part of spending time with God and sincerely asking and engaging his heart, Father, what are you asking from me, from our family to give you? Where do you want us to be? If you miss that whole part, like you're totally missing the whole thing. We really only decide what we're going to give after we've been in communication with him. That's a good word right there. I wish I wrote that down earlier, but I never did. We only make that decision after we've been in communication with him. And typically it takes a little while. Here's what happens. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's an awesome promise. That's an awesome promise. It's a particular grace to be that generous and to give like that in a way that's healthy and right, that doesn't seek attention and tries to let everybody know like what they do and how it works. Like it's, it's, things get weird. Things get weird. But when it comes just out of that joyful heart of being with him, and it's just like, ah, oh, if I see something come back, whatever. If I don't, whatever. I just need to sow into the kingdom. Nobody would ever call a farmer crazy if he goes out and he scatters more seed. He would do that so he gets more crop. Very much the same thing as us. Money and seed, they're, they're like the same. Go out and sow more, whatever we can do. God certainly won't hang us out to dry. He will come through. He's faithful and he will. And you know what? Let's say financially, because sometimes people think, well, as long as those blessings and that uh, harvest that I will receive, it's going to come in dollar signs. I'd be careful with that. You might get some more. Might be a season of more, season of less. But much of what you will reap in the harvest of blessings will just be a profound change within us and in relationship to Him. There's going to be a ridiculous amount of peace. There could just be an overflow just of the Spirit working in and through our lives in ways we have never experienced before. There could just be an unlocking just from heaven just into our lives. I don't know how it comes out, but it, it might not always be dollar signs. So don't have that always be the telltale sign. All right, that's all I have. But this is like a big deal stuff. We've got to do this really well. Because I'm telling you, it unlocks so much of God's character when it's in the right place. It really does. And the better that we can know, hey, what's coming in? What's going out? What's our strategy in place? Where's God calling us to in this season? That's really important. You know, and then go after it. And there's just, there's so many resources to use in this day and age, it's unbelievable. So many. So many. And I encourage you to use any of them. Any kind of budget sheet you want in there, financial advice, how to handle things. Like, and if in your circle there's not great answers... There's Christian financial advisors, and they're all around us. Be very helpful. 
And it's amazing how much freedom it brings. It's amazing. So let's stand. We're going to close in prayer. Got to get some chili. Father, I thank you for what you've, in, you've given to us. Father, you've, you've allowed us to hold and to have certain things in our life. Money and resources and, and homes and, and food and all kinds of different things, Lord. I thank you for what you've given us, Father. And we recognize you as the sole source for what comes into our life. So, Father, we just want to say thank you. We thank you, Father, for what we have. We thank you for what you've given us, Lord, whether a lot or a little, Father. We thank you, Lord. I thank you want to grow our faith, Lord. I know that you're also calling us to be a people that can be wise with money so we can be in a position to help more often than we can. Now, Father, I pray that we would see that part of it, Lord, that you're looking for us, Lord, to give away, Lord, to save, Lord, and to be able to just provide and buy things for people and help others, Lord. And if we're carrying lots of debt, Lord, we can't do things like that. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak uh, wisdom and truth, Lord, into hearts and minds, Lord, in our church family on how to handle finances in a way, Lord, uh, that you would see fit, Father. I pray for just great transparency, Lord, with people who they need to be transparent with, Father. And I know that you're going to speak to hearts and to minds, Lord, that truly seek you on this. And I pray that our church, Lord, it has been so far, and I just pray that you would continue at our church to have generosity just be a theme about our church, Lord. I pray that we continue to be known as a church that gives, And I pray that you would increase our finances here, Lord, Lord, so we could give more. So we could provide more, Lord. So we ask for an increase on that, Lord. Father, I pray that you just, uh, supernaturally, people are carrying some debt, Lord, and they're working hard, Lord. I pray supernaturally, Father, that you would provide ways, Lord, to cancel some debts that maybe people can't get out of. So we just pray for a release just over some debts, Lord, that are just in this room, Lord, that people are just struggling with, Father. Not that they would be irresponsible and just throw them away, but some way, shape, or form, Lord, you bring a cancellation, Lord. And we just ask you, Father, just for an increase, Lord, so you could be in a better position, Father, to bring your love and faithfulness to those around us. And it's in your precious name we pray, amen, amen.